0: I'm speaking this morning on I See a Church of Huge Potential. We're doing four weeks uh, of I See a Church, and each one begins, uh, in fact, it's an acrostic of hope. So the first week is huge potential. And uh, in the preparation for this, I was planning to speak from a passage in Ephesians, and uh, I, I didn't really settle. And it got to Friday morning, and I changed everything um, that I was going to do. So this morning, we're going to uh, look at a passage from Ezekiel chapter 37. It's an unusual passage, it's a prophetic passage, and it's going to come up on the screen behind me in the NIV version of the Bible, and I'm going to read it. This is what it says The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This time of the year, you will, as you walk through the woods, as you walk through the parks, you will come across oak trees. And at the base of oak trees, you will find acorns that have fallen. An acorn has massive potential locked up inside it, it has incredible potential. Some acorns will, in hundreds of years' time, be massive, massive oak trees. Each one of us has potential locked in us. When I was in Alpha Comprehensive School, the gist of my school reports in the sixth form was this. I'll summarize it. If Stephen wants to fulfill his potential, he has to do a lot of work now. And now was in capital letters with an exclamation mark at the end. A whole industry has grown up around helping people who are struggling to reach their potential. Half the problem is we have no idea what we're capable of achieving. We flip between the extremes of being wildly unrealistic about what we can do to thinking that we can do virtually nothing at all. The world is full of people who have huge potential but it's never been realized. Many of you work with people who you know are capable of so much more. You sit next to them and you watch them squandering the potential that they have. Someone once said this, the wealthiest places in the world are not gold mines, oil fields, diamond mines or banks. The wealthiest place is the cemetery. There lies companies that were never started, masterpieces that were never painted. In the cemetery there is buried the greatest treasure of untapped potential. There is a treasure within you that must come out. Don't go to the grave with your treasure still within you. God created us all with potential, which he wants to see us fulfill. Potential is dormant ability, reserved power, untapped strength, unused success, hidden talents, capped capability. Potential is all you can be but have not yet become, all you can do but have not yet done. This morning, we're going to just have a look at this passage from Ezekiel, chapter 37. Ezekiel encounters the awesome power of God. And in a vision, he finds himself standing in a valley of, of dry bones. The bones are dry because they've been there such a long time. There's no life anywhere to be seen. This is a prophetic passage because what has been described is an allegory, it's a, it's a story through which God wants to speak. When you take a passage like this, it's easy to overfocus on the detail and miss the point. God is speaking to Ezekiel about his people who are very much alive, not dead. Prophecies in the Bible have an immediate application and and what God said to Ezekiel had an immediate application for the people of God, the people of Israel. But there is often application that comes for later generations. And generation after generation, this passage is relevant to many generations. It's relevant to our generation today. It's relevant to us here in the center of Winchester. Many feel that the church is like a valley of dried out old bones. No life. It's an anachronistic, and irrelevant institution. That couldn't be further from the truth as you're going to see this morning. I'm going to show you why God sees a church of huge potential. I want you to see why becoming Hope Church is so exciting. But it isn't just about us. It's about his church, wherever that is. See, the first thing that we need to know is this. God's power is for us. You see, being a church of huge potential is about God. It's not about us. Potential comes from the Latin word potentialis, which means power. Any potential that we have is totally dependent on God's power. Unless we have God's power, we are as much use as dried out old bones. This chapter in Ezekiel reminds us that God can do anything he wants to do. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. This morning, I want to remind us how great God is, and that nothing is too difficult for him. Let me simply read some scripture to you. Psalm 93, verse 3 and 4. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Last winter we saw the power of the sea washing away huge chunks of coastline in a moment. The image behind is of the railway line near Dawlish, what was left of it in any event. Yet that is nothing, the power of the sea is nothing compared to the awesome power of God who created the sea. God is in control of the seas. When Jesus was on the lake and the the waves were high, the storm was at its worst. Jesus wakes up, stands up in the middle of the boat and he says, peace, be still. And the storm stops. Job chapter 9 says this. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without their knowing and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. God Created the universe at a word. He spoke it into being out of nothing. Nicky Gumbel, in his book, Questions of Life, and it's quoted by Andrew Wilson in his book, Incomparable, writes this. On 20th of August 1977, Voyager 2, the interplanetary probe, launched to observe and transmit to the Earth data about the outer planetary system, set off from Earth traveling faster than the speed of a bullet, 90,000 miles per hour. On the 28th of August 1989, it reached planet Neptune 2,700 million miles from the Earth. Voyager 2 then left the solar system. It will not come within one light year of any star for 958,000 years. In our galaxy, there are 100,000 million stars like our sun. Our galaxy is one of 100,000 million galaxies. In a throwaway line in Genesis, the writer tells us he also made the stars. Such is his power. We live in a world that tries to close its eyes and ears to the existence of God. Paul says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. This should give us great confidence because God's power is for us. We're not trying to plug into the power of God like foolish people trying to connect their houses to the national grid by getting on a ladder and going up a a pole, a pylon, and with crocodile clips. How foolish that would be. God is no impersonal force. He created us in his image, we're told in Genesis. Not only this, we're told that he loves us because he's love. Before we ever thought of him, he loved us. The great God who created the heavens and the earth, created the stars and the planets, loves you intimately. His power is for you. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, 18 and 19, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. In Psalm 62, verse is 11 to 12, in the ESV, it says this, once God has spoken, twice I've heard this. The Bible uses those sort of phrases when it says something twice. It's saying it's settled, it's certain. Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. We worship a God who is all-powerful but is all-loving and his power is available to us. It's for you. And if you feel this morning that you've been in a valley of dry bones, you feel dried out, God says to you this morning, come to him. Turn to him. A.W. Pink, in his book on the attributes of God, says this, God is worthy of implicit confidence. Nothing is too hard for him. If God were stinted in might and had a limit to his strength, we might well despair. But seeing that he is clothed with omnipotence, no prayer is too hard for him to answer. No need too great for him to supply. No passion too strong for him to subdue. No temptation too powerful to deliver from. No misery too deep for him to relieve. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God's power is for us. It's for you. It's for us as we become Hope Church. God's power is with us. The second thing we need to know is this. God's promise to us. Have you ever been asked an awkward question and you end up giving a cagey answer? Maybe... You've been asked the question by someone of the opposite sex and they've come up and they've said, what what are you doing on the weekend? And you've suddenly thought, oh, this is going to be a bit awkward. Um, uh, Oh, I haven't decided yet. You give a sort of fairly cagey answer. When Annette comes up to me and says, how much money do we have in our account? I give a cagey answer. Well, depends, really. God asks Ezekiel a question, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives a cagey answer. Only you know, sovereign Lord. Ezekiel is told to prophesy to these dry bones. Literally, this means speak God's word to them. Preach to them. Dry bones hear the word of the Lord. How bizarre. Bones can't hear. They have no ears. It's prophetic. God's word promises restoration and life. The people of God that Ezekiel spoke to were much alive but scattered and broken. They'd been taken into captivity in Babylon. They were far from home. They were crushed. They felt like that valley of dry bones, scattered and broken. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, stands up before a crowd of thousands of people. And as he looks out, they were effectively dry bones, a valley of dry bones. People dead to God, spiritually dead, physically alive, but spiritually dead. And Peter declares God's word in Jesus Christ to this valley of dry bones in front of him, and life comes to them. You see, Peter talks about Jesus, who is God's Word. The Bible is all about Jesus from beginning to end. John, the Apostle John, calls Jesus the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And then he says that this word came from heaven and dwelt amongst us. Jesus became a man. The word of God, the spoken word of God became a man. He is the promise of God. He is God's promise to us. God's promise to us is singular. It's Jesus. Every other promise is found in Christ Michael Reeves in his book Christ Our Life talks about Spurgeon and he says this Spurgeon was a phenomenon of the 19th century as a man he fizzed with life as a pastor he was fruitful he was so fruitful it seems fictitious streams of living water flowed from within him so where, what was the reservoir that fed him? The answer, without a doubt, is Jesus Christ. Christ was his treasure, his life, the organising centre of his thought and ministry. He had the highest view of Scripture, but he was not first and foremost a man of the Bible. His view of it and his use of it was steered by the fact that it is the Word of Christ. The Bible is the word of Christ. It's about Jesus. And so when Ezekiel talks, is told to preach, for us today, it's a, when we proclaim to dry bones, we are proclaiming Christ, the very promise of God. Doesn't God's word give us many promises? You might think, Yes. But they are all bound up in Jesus Christ. There is a very real sense in which God's promise to us is Jesus. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure in the field that Matthew talks about. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 tells us that if we are in Christ, then we are heirs according to the promise. In 2 Corinthians chapter one, verse 20, Paul tells us that no matter how many promises God has made, they are, yes, in Christ. Christ is God's promise to us. And through Jesus, all of God's promises are ours. Have you received Christ? Have you put your trust in what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross, taking the punishment that was rightfully yours? Is He your all in- all? Is he your everything? If you have, God promises never to leave you. He promises to be with you in the darkest moment. He promises that he will look after you in the most difficult circumstance. He promises to bless you. He promises his presence. The list of God's promises in Christ go on and on and on. As a church, we have many promises over us. Promises of God pouring out his spirit. Of many turning to Christ. Of a move of God among students. Of impact in the city and regions beyond to the south and southwest. But those promises will only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God wants to see his promises come to pass. In Isaiah verse 50, chapter 55, it says this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That passage was written 700 years before Jesus and was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's word to this world. He will receive the honour due his name. He will receive many sons and daughters for glory. He will receive his inheritance from out among the lost. He will do it because that is God's word. He is God's word, God's promise to us. Thirdly, we need to know this. We need to know God's presence in us. Isn't it enough to know God's power is for us and God's promise to us? No. We need to know God's presence in us. We need to know the presence of of the Spirit. When Jesus was with his disciples, he said something that seemed so bizarre to them. He said that he was going back to be with his Father and they were distraught at the thought and he said, it's better that I go to the Father than stay with you. They couldn't understand that. How could that be better? Jesus, the one who opens blind eyes, the one who turns water into wine, the one who feeds the 5,000, the one who works miracles, the one who speaks truth, the one who confounds the religious. How can it be better that he goes to heaven and leaves us without him? That's crazy talk. What they didn't understand was this. This was part of God's great plan. Jesus went to heaven because God had promised throughout the Ages throughout the, all of the Old Testament, he promised. there's going to be a day when my spirit will not just become on you, he will dwell in you. And so when Jesus goes back to heaven, he baptizes his people in the spirit. He pours out his spirit. He drenches his people with the spirit. And suddenly, on the day of Pentecost, it all made sense. These ordinary men were empowered by the very presence of God, and the world has never been the same. When we connect with him, we are connected with the very power, the dunamis of God. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us as individuals, in us as a church. God's power in us. We were dead. We were like dry old bones. But because of Jesus, God's spirit dwells in us. The very presence of God amongst us. The spirit of God brings life and brings life to the full it's so only as we're filled with God's Spirit can we fulfill our God-given potential. God's Spirit prepares us for action. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Paul prays for the Ephesian church to be strengthened with God's power. When we connect with God through Jesus, his power becomes available to us. His presence dwells within us. And who knows what we are capable of. If God is for us, who can be against us? We are a people of word and spirit. We are a people of Christ and the Spirit. As a church, we must give room for the Spirit. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you feeling dry this morning? Do you need to be drenched again with the very presence of God? Finally, we need to know God's plan with us. God's plan with us. Listen to those words. God's plan with us. It is the most remarkable thing. The God of heaven who could do anything just from a word from his mouth chooses to allow us to partner with him. How amazing is that? What a privilege that is. This is what it says in the Amplified Bible in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. God works out his plan in partnership with us. Ezekiel saw these dry bones become an army. An army has one commander, God. This army has a common purpose of following their commander's orders. They stand side by side together against a common enemy. Likewise, we are an army. We are the people of God. There is strength in our togetherness. There is a remarkable thing in the scriptures where it talks about five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. Those of you who don't get maths will struggle to understand that. It is exponential. What it's saying is that when you are together, you can do far more than you can when you're on your own. We can do more together than we can apart. Together our potential is exponential in God. We are a church of huge potential together because God is on the throne and his power is is for us. He loves us. We are a church of huge potential because Jesus Christ is the word of God. He is the promise of God and all God's promises to us are yes in Christ. We are a church of huge potential because God's spirit dwells in us as the people of God. Two are better than one. That's the story of the early church. You see how they operated. Together they seem capable of doing the most remarkable things. Are people who are hidden away in an upper room, fearful of what the religious leaders were going to do to them. Suddenly God's spirit comes on them. Christ is before them. And everything changes. They are as bold as lions. And together they shake the, the known world. People who you think they would not have been capable of anything become heroes of the faith. You might think you are capable of nothing. You might be sitting there thinking, well, I don't know what potential I've got. I don't know what God can do with me. You might be thinking, I'm past it. I'm too old. You are never too old for God to do something with you. You have potential in you that God wants to release. He wants you to be the best that you can be for Him. He wants us as a church to be full of people who reach their potential in Him. Because He wants to honor His Son. And His Son wants to see the Spirit move. And the Spirit wants to glorify Jesus. And Jesus wants to point the way back to the Father. God will have His day. Every one of us has potential that needs to be realised. What has God got for you to do? Nehemiah oversaw the rebuilding of Jerusalem's city wall. And during the the story, it talks about there were moments when he he just got everybody working on on building. So, and everybody had a part to play. As we move into this season of becoming Hope Church, you have a part to play. God has potential in you that he wants to release by his spirit. Which bit are you going to work on? I draw to a close this morning. Hope Church has massive potential because the Father loves us and is all powerful. That's amazing. That's wonderful. God loves us. The, The Creator of all things loves you and me, and His power is there for us. Hope Church has massive potential because the Son is the great promise of the Father and through his death and resurrection he has made us heirs of all the great and precious promises of God. That doesn't mean that life goes swimmingly all the time but it means that God is with us in the midst of it. Hope Church has massive potential because the Holy Spirit presences himself within us individually and corporately. The Holy Spirit is here right now. The Holy Spirit has been here during the worship. Did he sense him? God wants you to be filled with the Spirit. What will God do in this next season? What will God do through you? I want to encourage you to worship the Father, love the Son, and be filled with the Spirit. Be committed to one another in brotherly love. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 and verse 21 tells us this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.